CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book is the third in our year-long Sundering series, with The Adversary by Aaron M. Evans. And joining us for this episode's discussion are Eric Paquette. Hello. Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's me. Kyle Chenier. Oh, man! <laughs> All returning from last month. And later in this episode, we'll be talking to Aaron M. Evans, the author of the novel. So as we prepare to jump into the world of our angsty teen tieflings, I need to remind you all about our great sponsor, Noble Knight Games, a retailer who carries the latest and greatest, but specializes in finding the out of print. For example, 10 years ago, Green Ronin was one of the great third-party publishers of D&D. Especially, in my opinion, when it came to extra planar creatures like devils, demons, and in the case of our pick for this episode, Asimar and Tieflings in a book of the same name. It has all sorts of D&D mechanics for 3rd edition, but beyond that, it's full of great ideas that could be cut and pasted pretty much into any edition. I used to really love the, the extra planar stuff, the demon and devil stuff that they, that they did um, with Green Ronin back in the day. And so that's why I picked this episode. Plus, you know, Tieflings, and we got a story about Tieflings. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a noble knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well, you see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. Alright, it's time to get into the book. Who wants to start? Yay, book! I felt the same way! <laughs> that, was, that, that was a very explosive ending. Yes. yes. It was very it's funny because things exploded. <laughs> No, the ending was really good. I actually, uh, I'm usually not that hip on uh, a lot of the endings of fantasy novels and everything because I always tend to be sort of like, well, we got about, you know, like two or three chapters worth left. So it's like, uh, just everything comes to a head and then it's done. Uh, but the ending to this was really satisfying. I really liked yeah. it. Well, also, the second half of the book really picked up in, in speed of some of the, all, everything was seemed to have been set up and then you really went about and introduced oh, plus we got introduced to the nameless one which was the uh, 
Shar, chosen of Shar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is is Shar the adversary then? Is that was was that the implication? I thought Asmodeus was the adversary. Oh, okay. There are so many adversaries in this book. Like <laughs> you can make, you can make an equal case that uh, Farida is her own adversary. Yes, so I was going to say that. And she had to get over you know like her own sort of personal problems. That in itself could be said to be the adversary. This this book overfloweth with adversaries. So. Well, and and um, the interview that people are going to hear after our conversation um, with Aaron that we, you know, because we're traveling through time, uh, has has already occurred. Um, she actually mentioned that I think the original title was was it Fallen Angel? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which gives a whole new insight as sort of to where it is and where it went, considering it, it went from Fallen Angel to the adversary, right? Yeah. And then oh, as, I, as, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, in the, in the epilogue, we kind of get introduced to a new adversary, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Kakistos. Yeah, did anybody else assume that that was who the ghost was from the be- the beginning? Yes. No, I didn't even think of that. I just thought it was a uh, ghost. Uh, when it was first introduced, I didn't think of it, but the, uh, uh, one of, I think it was the second or third. At one point, they, when they reintroduced the ghost, they... They make strong implication that it was that one. So I was like, so when I got to the the epilogue and it was revealed that the ghost was out, I was like, oh, cool, it's confirmed. I mean, <laughs> as soon as as soon as we were told that it was a a tiefling ghost, then I I immediately thought it was going to be uh, Briseis Kikistos. And then when she was doing the the card reading, um, I think there were some clues in the cards that she was pulling when the ghost was there <laughs> that that gave a strong clue that that's who it was. Yeah. Now, so I was breezing through the book. I didn't see that coming at all. At the end, I was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, oh yeah, that's kind of cool." Yeah, and uh, it wasn't. Uh, I don't know whose fault it would be, but I had the review copy, and the formatting on that is horrible. Sometimes yeah, it, it oftentimes is. Yeah, so there are ty- definitely things that I missed just because uh, of the layout on the mm. review copy. Yeah. So, I have the EPUB format, which so it went, it went well for formatting and mm-hmm. scene. And I did the audiobook. I, I've 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 kind of stopped using the uh, the preview review copies that um, the digital ones that that we get. I mean, I, I still have I still get them when I want them. Um, but I've in, really enjoyed the audiobooks, and this audiobook was I thought I felt like very well read. I I thought so too, except yeah. I didn't catch Most of the time. I didn't catch any mispronunciations, and there's always at least something. I I, I thought her rendition of uh, Adolican Rand was a bit over the top, but I can see that. And and, and sometimes when she plays um, Serce, I felt like Serce was a little too relatable with the voice that she was given, you know. But maybe that's part of the point too: is that she's she's half demon, she's half human, and and sometimes she's a little more human than we would give her credit for. Right, she's she's basically in the in the same position as as Lorcan. She just hasn't been a POV character so far. Well, and she's much more interested in playing the game, uh, you know, of the hierarchy of of the hells. And Lorcan just sort of wants to stay out of it so he doesn't get noticed. Speaking of Lorcan, like the development between him and Farida, and pretty much like everything else in terms of like his relationship with all of those characters, that was awesome. I'm really ready to, to for her to kick him to the curb. 
Like he can be in the party, but like there's no, I, I want no romantic entanglements there any, at all. No, see, I'm the exact opposite. I, want, I'm, I ship that like so hard. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Well, I don't know if I want romantic entanglements. I, I kind of like that. There's like there's a spicy side to it. I like that there yeah. that these are these are two characters that like at the very least there may be like a certain amount of physical attraction and everything. Like I thought that was kind of cool. I like that. I like that it was present and it wasn't really shied away from, but it wasn't like really, really overt. See, I think he's going to want to be with her, but she doesn't want to be with him and hasn't for a while, but just doesn't know how to you know quit him, so to speak. I, th- I think this is going to be going on for books and books and books. I kind of wanted to end up with Doll. I like Doll. I like Doll too, <laughs> but I think I she's could- going to end up with 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 Lorcan. See, I, I, I think the they're, they're going to end up saving each. Each other. My only thing is, how old is Doll? Well, that that's part of the issue, right? And and we had a similar conversation with Aaron about um, Bryn and and Havilar. Um, well, how how old is Lorcan? He's well, like a right. Lorcan's yeah. very old. Yeah, but he still acts like a teenager. So yeah. Also, Lorcan is fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's why I said it, not romantic. I wasn't saying no entanglements. I was just saying they may not <laughs> purely be, purely physical entanglements. I, per, I potentially I would not take that off the table. Entangled in the bed sheets. What? What we can't have a, a mix of Dal, Lorcan, and Faraday? No, <laughs> no. Now we're, now we're getting into <laughs> erotic fan fiction. Veto, veto. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to write that fan fiction now. <laughs> hey, you promised us chat books after the last uh, Aaron Evans book, right? I know. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to see Tracy, Tracy Hurley pinned uh, Realms chat books. Yeah, well, and then what's going to have to happen is I'm going to have to change all the names, and then I'll release it under the Sunrise. Right. Sort of Twilight. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'd be down for that. No. But anyway, okay, so obviously I get I get the impression that we all really liked it and everything. Was there any other parts of the ending that kind of stood out to everyone? Like, was there any favorite parts or well, anything else like that? There's, and I sort of broached the subject in the interview as well, but but it seems very clear to me, like, we're not, in, in the Sundering series, we're not really going to get the Sundering until the end. And then the books are going to continue telling the story of the, of the Sundering afterwards. You know, like clearly part of the Sundering is, is Farida becoming a chosen of Asmodeus. That was not resolved in this book, which means that event, which is a Sundering event, her becoming a chosen, is going to continue on. Mm-hmm. So I think I the think, Sundering think, is going to go on for another year after this. Well, I, I think that the, that the out fall or whatever the proper word is of, of the sun ring is that there's, there's going to be a lot more chosen just sort of peppered all across the realms and you'll, you'll be able to play a, cho- a chosen and that'll become like the norm rather than the exception in your, in your forgotten mm-hmm. realms games that you'll, you'll, you'll all be chosen. I don't know about that. Yeah. It all depends yeah, at the same on time, what... I kind of like the idea but I think that's kind yeah. of neat. Well, I think that could be a campaign, not a campaign setting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a great idea for an, an MMO, but sure, yeah, like what what Jeff, what Jeff said. So, no, but for for stuff that I've enjoyed, I mean, I, I enjoy the fact that 
Bryn and Havlar finally admitted their feelings to each other, even though it's Yay. complicated, but with the fact that Bryn, Bryn is, is engaged to someone for political reasons to get married. I mean, a little twist for future, but I like the fact that it was. And I also, I also like how it ended with the fact of Meehan going and basically just getting Faraday and just just leaving. Not like fighting off the the nameless one, just go. <laughs> he, he had his purpose. He he was accomplishing yeah, that we, purpose. We, mm-hmm. we learned about why Meehan was is is clanless. Yeah, right? we we finally got some information about Meehan and, and, and his backstory. Which we wasn't like in four or five bucks. It's it's because he wanted to marry somebody else. Right. There was like an arranged marriage or whatever and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be with some woman that he loved. Mm-hmm. And he did, was, did, did they say it was a woman? I guess they didn't. Or, or, okay. He was in love with someone, and but he was supposed to get married to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Which probably, if they're since they're with uh, Bryn's marriage, they might explore more of that issue. In the next, in the next book, oh, sure. there's, there's parallels there, right? Yeah, I, I I have a feeling we're 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 gonna meet this this woman that Bren is engaged to, and she's gonna be t- turn out to be like a totally like three D sympathetic character with like her mm-hmm. own story, and that'll be very very interesting. That's that's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping for anyway. And, if she's and, just like a throwaway character, and that'll, that'll give be us and that'll give us another Dragonborn character. Have we had a single Dragonborn character besides Meehan in in all of the fourth edition realms? I can't think of I one. Think so I, I think there was character. Like, no, there was at least oh in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, I don't know. I know that there was at least a couple of books that were published during uh, the earlier parts of Fourth Edition that had a Dragonborn protagonist. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to see more of them. Right? Because because I mean, I think I think Aaron's the only one who's tackled the the idea, really tackled the idea that hey, guess what? Dragonborn are in the world now. I think maybe Bruce mm-hmm. Cordell did a little bit um, in one of his Sword of the Gods books. But they were around, but they weren't main characters. Yeah. Well, the race that was created because people wanted to play dragons, according to wizards. People so want to play dragons that we're going to make them a core race now. Yeah, well, I, know, I think Dragonborn are boss. I thought they were yeah. great. Well, I think Aaron's pretty much took the fourth edition races and basically made it her own for the book because the Tieflings also, as a main race, came about and. In uh, in fourth edition, even though they've had it since second edition, yeah, TV has been around since I think Planescape. Yeah, yeah. Which is, another, which is another thing I noticed when they were talking about the history of the Tieflings, the descriptions that they were giving of the the older Tieflings before the the, the thirteen came and made the pack, mm-hmm. to me felt a lot like the second edition Tieflings, which were totally random in looks and all that they didn't have the same structure that tieflings have now yeah they were they were originally just like these planar mutts like there was no connection right. to like specifically there 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 was no co- connection to any one plane they were just like a crossbreed of everything that was out there i think mm-hmm. i think aaron's uh sort of doing a a retroactive realm shaking event that explains the switch from uh, the old tiefling to the new tiefling, and Asmodeus becoming a god, all sort of tied together. 
Yeah. I well, wholeheartedly approve. I don't know and if you I, mentioned I, it in the interview, um, but Jeff, Tracy, did uh, did Erin mention this at all and everything? I think in a previous interview she said, like, she really, when she first started uh, Farida and Havilar's story and everything with the first book, um, like, she really wanted to use tieflings as a race because she kind of, she felt drawn to those, like, again, like, the big ram horns, the tail, like, the really sort of, like, off-kilter, sort of weird-looking races. Did you make mention of that at all? No, we didn't ask her about that. Um, and I, I mean, I think we've interviewed her, what, three, four times now. I don't think we've ever really asked why tieflings, you know? Right. Because yeah. they were, I think they're still my favorite D&D race. Like, I just, as soon as I saw them in the fourth edition book, I was like, that's what I like. Oh, that's awesome. So, like, I didn't really drawn to that. Like, when I finally got around to reading this book, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. See, I'm really drawn to to um, fantasy, you know, especially like Forgotten Realm stories that deal heavily with the gods and devils and and um, and that and that kind of stuff, right? And so this this book really appeals to that, you know. If it had if it had angels in it too, then I'd be I'd be set. That's pre- that's pretty much everything I want in a good a good fantasy story, you know, high adventure fantasy story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never we never see much of like the the good side of the planar. No, we don't. The- because yeah, villains wish. are way more fun. But we could. I I I I dispute that. Why 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 can't why can't angels and and Eladrin and Gardinals and uh, Slod and well because Eladrin um, are just high elves now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the Godborn, there was a diva, which is the good version of the Tiefling. Good sir. Sort of. And that wasn't a very good book. They had issues. <laughs> and we've had we've had uh, David we've had David before, right? Sort of the Gods uh, again was Bruce Cordell's uh, fourth edition series that uh, the main characters of Deva. Yeah, but Deva, uh, I mean Deva, Deva yeah. are they're 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 not Asimar. Like they they just right. don't have the like they just don't have the appeal. Well, that, they, that, I, they have they have appeal to me. They're but they're not the story's not the same. The Asimar, the 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 God touched the, or the good sort of goodly touched planar creatures. Uh, is not what a deva really is, right? A, a deva is more of a – could be a, an angel of good, evil, neutral, whatever, who chooses, chooses to live as a mortal or you know, and that kind of thing. They're, it's got, a, they're, very, it's got a very different story. They're the opposite counterpart apparently to the, to the Rakshasa. Rakshasa, yeah. yeah. Well, that's because they well, both come out of Indian, Indian men. Pick apart fantasy races. That's right. <laughs> We're, we're, I mean, come on. We're doing a podcast about D&D, right? So we're that level no, of geek. we're doing a podcast about this book. This well, awesome book that you should buy now. Yes. Also, pre-order. Yes, awesome book. Coming up. So one of the things I liked was the scene where Dahl and Bryn were outside the tunnel. And they sort of just had the hope uh, or trust that the twins would be able to uh, save themselves and, and complete the mission. Mm-hmm. Which I, I they couldn't was run nice... in and, and save the day be, go to the rescue, right? And then also, like throughout the book, the times when things started going sideways was when people weren't talking to each other and working together and just trying to do it all on their own in a stoic fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The t- you you really saw the the, promo- the promotion of teamwork working together versus do it by yourself, individual. Well, you should never split the party. They, they, the party split pretty much from the beginning. I know the story doesn't really start until they split the party, <laughs> and that's well, why you should never split the party. <laughs> didn't Aaron say that that was one of the things? I can't remember. It might have been an IO9 interview 
or I, I don't know where else you might, but I think she said something along the lines of like, that was sort of like, that was a big part of the story for Farida to sort of, uh, realize that there were some things that she couldn't tackle entirely on her own, that mm. she needed to, you know, be able to trust her companions and her friends and her sister to, you know, be able to be there to help her. It's not something where she, it's like, no, I must only, I was, you know, I must take on this burden by myself and only I can be strong enough to shield my friends and things. Well, and at the same time, like she starts off that way, right? Oh, yeah. She tries to run off on her own and, and handle all this. Uh, but at the same time, by the end of it, like as much as you've learned the lesson of you can't do this on your own, you've also hit the – everybody else has sort of learned the lesson of we have to trust each other. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's yeah. n- there's none of the I have to make sure we do this. There was, you know, oh, well, they're going to run off and do this thing. I have to trust that they're going to be OK. You know, yeah. one thing I actually really like, I can't remember if we talked about this about part one. But when um, the other part of the party teamed up with the uh, Red Wizard and her sort of undead minions, mm-hmm. that was freaking awesome. I, yeah, although it did point it did highlight for me in my head. The realms now, ever since the Netherese returned in, in what, end of 3rd edition, into 4th edition, um, we now have basically two giant empires ruled by evil wizards, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not horribly dissimilar other than geography anymore. I'm hoping well, that... Well, Netherese are, are, are shadowy and red wizards are undead. Right. Big, big difference. I mean, this is, <laughs> and this is something that I think we'll probably get into with, uh, like, the first part of the review with uh, the Reaver. But um, how uh, the Red Wizards are depicted during the Sundering is really cool. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I cannot oh, remember her don't character's spoil us. name. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's just um, the fact that it, for even a moment and everything that, like, the good guys even consider, oh, maybe we should team up with these, you know, clearly evil Red Wizard people. Um, like I like that. I like the idea of these sort of warring factions, sort of mm-hmm. putting aside their differences, even if just for like just temporarily, mm-hmm. to deal with you know possibly a bigger threat. Yeah, temporary alliances that are shifting. You mean like the United States teaming up with the evil communist Russians to take out the bigger threat of the Nazis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This World War II <laughs> analogy is going everywhere. <laughs> the Red Wizards Oops. get it? No. Um, so speaking of of all of that i think that that's a good segue into into one of my sort of standard questions here as we go through this this series uh what did we actually learn about the sundering in this book there's lots of chosen yeah but we knew that before and we also knew that the netheries were were gathering them because that happened before the sundering in, in salvatore's book it's not just in the three sorry Huh? It wasn't just the Netherese, was it? That was collecting them? Well, I, I mean, we've known uh, Salvatore's book that came before the Sundering, the one, one book he had right. before that, uh, largely involved a storyline wherein uh, a Netherese wizard was trying to collect a Drizzt because they, they think he's a, 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 an, a, a, chosen, a, a, a chosen, but they don't know of which god. Hmm. Um, and so, even, yeah, even from there, before the Sundering officially started, the Netherese have been trying to collect Chosen. Yeah. But um, he seemed to... And yeah. this one, the Netherese sort of had an alliance with, with Hell? Or, or at least Rand had a, had a deal? Rand, Rand, anyway, had a deal with some hellish creatures, yes. 
And and those those same hellish creatures had to deal with uh, what's their face, the red wizard girl. Right. Well, of course, hell's going to side with everybody and anybody as long as they can further their goals. And I think I think everybody's trying to gather as much sort of god spark as they can, right? Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. we're we're. And and once once again, my 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 question comes back to where where are the good guys in this? Where's I mean, we like other other than that one pool. To to uh, S- Salune that that's kind of like hinted at towards the end of the story. Why wh- like why do I like I I kind of want to see like the good guys scheming and posturing and making alliances and breaking alliances <laughs> to. I mean, like they, they come in. They're all they, down, they, they're all down in Daggerford doing the uh, encounter season. That's true. I guess that's another <laughs> thing is that this novel series also ties into. Um, the uh, Encounters series, mm. which uh, actually do a fairly okay job of sort of uh, including Chosen and sort of, you know, raising stakes of like what it means to fight a Chosen or, you know, take orders from one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I haven't gotten that into like the latest season of Encounters because I'm not running it. Uh, but I know the previous two, like, they are full up with Chosen that you have to contend with. Mm-hmm. I I know that my local group hasn't even started it yet because they're they're still finishing the Icewind Dale one and it's it's not like the 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 latest one I think it's called like Red Wizards something or other uh-huh. it's it's not even Scourge product product you can buy Scourge of the Sword Coast anything else on the adversary we want to talk about did, did we learn anything about the Sundering other than they're collecting Chosen which we already knew three books ago. Oh. So probably a good takeaway for it is that uh, the more things change, uh, the more they stay the same. Uh, honestly, that's probably how we're like after the sixth book of this. That's probably going to be our biggest takeaway for this. Mm-hmm. Now, because we did, like it, I feel like we did learn that there's a war going on somewhere. We don't really know where or who between. Although I got the impression that the Netherese were one side of it. Mm-hmm. I sort of got the impression that the Netherese were actually seeking for some specific types of chosen to basically eat up and absorb the power. I might have misinterpreted and, their And they're also, spending a, they're also spending a lot of time searching around the, the crash city of Sackers that, and we saw how that happened in the Godborn. So I don't know if they're looking for something specific or just looking for whatever they can loot from that, those ruins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we think about um, Asmodeus and his, and his actions Specifically, Asmodeus telling a joke. I think that's pretty cool. I think that, I thought that <laughs> that scene was awesome. He, he he told me that she has to live, and uh, then he told a joke. What he he did? What <laughs> that doesn't seem right. <laughs> what do you mean he told a joke? It just added more to the uh, uh, minutes of of Asmodeus. <laughs> yeah, but well, was I, I, it really Asmodeus? I, th- I think it was absolutely Asmodeus. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, other questions. Like, at the end, when uh, they collect the one shard, or the the one piece of energy from the t- collapsed tower, mm-hmm. what, do we think that's uh, the chosen of shard that she leave, or do we think it was somebody else? You mean, you mean the the red wizard girl at, at, yeah. at the end when she said like this is not enough my master's going to be di- disappointed wasn't that, yeah, that, that how how it ended 
yeah, and like there was only one, so I was just wondering which one it was. <laughs> well, was it only one, or was that sort of all that was left of what she had collected with her ritual? I don't know. I thought it was just one because it's okay. like a little ball of energy. Yeah, I believe you. I, yeah. I I honestly don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I'm not sure yeah. that we're gonna know. Um, I think the point is just sh- letting us know that you know the Red Wizards are collecting godness to give to Zaz Tam, who has been you know trying to achieve godhood for some time now. Pretty much, no one got what they wanted out of this out of this whole camp thing. Not true. Uh, well, Mihan got his his daughters back. Yeah, and Bryn kind of got. Yeah, but none of none of the bad guys who are who are orchestrating this got. Well, that's at the point, or the bad guys are not supposed to get the, the well, stuff. And yet, at the same time, all of them got closer to what they wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, a- uh, uh, Rand lost all of his chosen. Right, he lost his camp, but he has five other ones out there. But he's dead. Yeah, but the Netherese <laughs> still get that. You know, those chosen now. You know, that's that's all still settled. And this is D and D. Being dead doesn't mean that's much. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, he's right, right now, I believe he's a white in service to the Red Wizard girl, whose name I really wish I could remember. Is it Reyna? Or I, I think it's, it starts with an N. N. I don't know. Oh. I I I thought I was was it just me? I I I I thought that her and the nameless one were going to turn out to be like more complicated characters than they were like they were going to have a wrinkle to them and then mm-hmm. they didn't they were just there, there was a lot of build up to them and I, whether or not like depending on i guess how like in tune with the realms you are and everything like either that build up paid off or it was kind of disappointing it was like but there was there was a lot of build up to it and i guess there wasn't much of a reveal and I, well i guess the, i think the reveal on the red wizard was just that um, she was the one that was actually going to collect, you know, that, that was going to carry out Magrosa's task, not actually the the betrayer that was inside the camp. You know, so that was the the twist there, is that you thought it was going to be this person, and ha-ha, no, it was actually the Red Wizard all along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I and I don't know about the the Chosen of Shar, the nameless one, I, and, and I kind of wonder if we won't see her again, unless, of course, Tracy's right, and, and that's the, the shard that was collected. Well, I was just, could Rand have been... Uh, a chosen at some point or something. Oh, you know what I mean. I don't know because the nameless one could have escaped, but the but the impression that we should have could have had was that she died. So then it would be like, ah, part, and part, part of me wants to kind of hope that we're going to get a time travel story at some point, and there was some indication that that may be possible. All right with the the waters, mm-hmm. yeah, that, right. that they could create portals to other times. Which also could be how she, how the nameless one escaped. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know she may have used a, a portal to another time, and maybe she went to the far past and grows up and becomes Shar or something. I don't know. Well, then you won't, you won't be able to trust any timeline in any published Forgotten Realms book ever written. No, because most time no most time travel stories end up being that it was the time travel that caused things to be the way they were all along. Right, that nothing changes. Not always. Not always, but mo- a lot of the times. <laughs> I, like, so that's something you really shouldn't care a tremendous amount about, like time, like very specific timelines and stuff. Like that's, that's don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll work out. Gee, don't don't bother. It's Cle- all clever good. authors can make it happen, and, and, and make, um, make it but um, 
one thing I really liked about like the very like the very ending and everything, and I guess it kind of ties back to the theme about uh, Farida sort of learning to sort of trust others and everything, is when she reveals that both she and Havilar are chosen of Asmodeus to uh, to Havilar. Because like it, it ends at a point where it's sort of like I think it's during the epilogue or it's during the last chapter mm-hmm. where it sort of ends off with her sort of saying, "No, I'm not going to tell her," and just like it's hold Havilar close and everything's going to be fine. And then there's a series of ellipses, and then it's like, "Yeah, actually, I got to tell you this." Yeah. Uh, turns out both of us might be chosen. Right, and I actually like that because she was outright told mm-hmm. uh, that that Havilar was not chosen. And yet she was smart enough to not believe it because it seemed like that would – you know, obviously mm-hmm. Havilar is going to be chosen, right? All the, all the <laughs> foreshadowing and all the clues point to that she's chosen uh, and she didn't choose to, to trust – I think it was Lorcan at his word. You know, She was smart enough to, at this point to finally recognize, you know what? All the clues say you're chosen. I, you, know, you should probably know this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, I, I've hidden enough things from you at this point. Maybe I should be – Honest. I like that. That was that was a nice way to sort of sum everything up. Absolutely. I I like that Doll is chosen, and he's got like words written on his soul. Yeah, but it's a complicated chosen. Like there's something yeah. weird going on with him. It's it's a riddle for the chosen of the god of, of knowledge to solve. Mm. Well, I like that each individual chosen, like depending on like how the god or goddess or like whatever other kind of uh, supernatural deity, uh, like each of the way that they choose uh, their own chosen, everything differs. And is you know very unique. I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other thoughts? We, uh, a, adding in uh, the uh, interview, we're going to go well over an hour here. So, yeah. Uh, just a question for those who were doing the audio book: the elf that uh, helps out Dahl. Uh, how did they? How did they pronounce her name? Which which elf? Uh, there was an elf that showed. Uh, I was, to, it was, it was to me. I, I pronounced it as Shira, and I kept hearing oh. the Shira each time. Now I don't know. You don't know? Okay, I would just. You don't. You don't mean the Drow, like which or or the or the leader of the Eladrin, like which no which elf. Uh, it's near the end. It was just the, the, so she mentioned she. To mention something, and because I, I I remember a, a Shira from the from the audio book. I just don't remember which character she was. Okay, yeah, and I listened to that it twice, and I don't remember that. But yes, it is it is Shira, like the Princess of Power. Yes. Okay, uh, because he's talking. I I was seeing her name show up. That's yeah. what I was picturing, and I'm like, hey, cool. Which which you is know, also like an, an actual name that people have. Like this right. is something that I would really like. Like in, I mean, they'll never do it in a Forgotten Realms novel. I mean, okay, maybe they have in the past, and I just don't know about it. But I would love if at some point, like just in the very beginning of your fantasy novel, you had like a pronunciation guide. Like, hey, um, here's the list of they, crazy they, they have that names. sometimes. They've done yeah, for consonants. Usually, when they do that, it, it's the author that's done that, and only like. Erin uh, said that with this book, she was fighting to try to get more pages because there was a lot of story that she wanted to tell, and this is a longer book than than she's <laughs> typically done, right? So in a situation like that, she's not going to have the pages to add an extra, you know, yeah. fifteen at the end with pronunciation guides and and uh, you know, a dramatist persona, right? But other books have done that, and, and most authors, sadly, are not J.R.R. Tolkien, and they just don't think that far. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did Bob Salvatore say and everything? It's like it's like I bang my hands on the keyboard and hope that enough vowels come out. 
<laughs> and thus we get drizzed. All right. Shall we wrap things up? Any last thoughts before we move on? Buy all of Aaron's books. But yeah, seriously, I actually got to go back and read her uh, earlier Brimstone Angels books because these are surprisingly good. Yeah, and, like, and, and really I feel good. like I feel like they they've continued they've started good and they've continuously gotten better. Like this is by far my favorite. And she's got a new one coming out. Pre-order it now. Amazon.com. Yep. Uh, she told us it looks like October is when it. Oh wow, out. that's soon. Yep. Nice. It's originally slated for September, and then I think they're going to push it to October, but. All right. Well, then that's our chat on the final half of The Sundering. So now it's time to go off and talk to the author, Aaron M. Evans. Tracy? Thanks, Jeff. We're here now with Aaron M. Evans, author of The Adversary and friend of the show. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. You've been on and on enough now that we you've officially been upgraded to friend of the show. I love it. Look at all, <laughs> all my business cards. That, yeah, I think so. Publisher. There you go. I have my uh, prescribed questions that I hinted at to you on Facebook earlier. <laughs> so I'm going to let Tracy get a chance to, to ask questions first before I dig in. Okay. All right. Hit me. Well, I, <laughs> there's the one thing we were talking about, which – and we talked about a little bit on the last episode of this. Uh, just the – for me, it was like one of the first times I really saw a character that had depression and presented so well, like, the fact that you could tell that it wasn't rational the way Dahl felt about himself. And then I found out later that uh, Frida also kind of went through that with being around Shar. And I was just wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, having that sort of thing in the book. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the thing about Shar that's most, I don't want to say relatable because it's not really relatable, but that you can kind of grab onto is that feeling of... Um, I mean, she has a sort of nihilistic quality and, and that kind of that, that feeling that you get a lot of times when you're depressed. Um, I've struggled with depression and anxiety basically my whole life. And I re- didn't really think about it until I finished the book, but in some way, in some ways the adversary is about my struggle with postpartum depression, but you would never, ever, ever notice that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so, you know, when with like with the nameless one specifically uh i wanted that to be her power because that's something that would be sort of powerful while being minor right she's not ripping holes in the plane she's not knocking down towers and commanding minions but she can affect you on a very base level um in in a very sort of char like way um and i tried whenever she interacts with a character the the result is different right like mm-hmm. Warkin gets really clingy. Serchi has uh, like a panic attack that she can't get on top of. Um, and Farida gets really um, distracted. Like she really can't focus. Uh, and that was very intentional because I wanted it to be something that affects everybody very differently. Like Rand was already sort of into other people's self-harm, but I think maybe that maybe affects him personally too. Um, and for Doll, that was a what? Oh, no, I said right. Yeah. Oh, for Doll, that was also a, a factor in uh, having the time jump. Um, I had sort of arcs for all these characters, and you know when they said, "We'll let you write with with your characters," because I, I made a a rather persuasive argument to let me keep using them. I wasn't done yet, um, and I decided to put the twins in stasis. I, I, I didn't want to just like I didn't want to just set the whole party aside and let everybody just pop out eight years later and go, "Huh, that was weird." 
uh, it kind of lacked pathos. <laughs> so Dahl kind of had to be put on hold, right? I couldn't let him work through all his problems while nobody was watching. That would have been really boring. I and mean, I had all these ideas for what could happen to him. So, you know, trauma has a way of, of stalling us out in a lot of ways. So I, I made it really put him through the ringer so that he just kept going back to square one. And part of that was he, he had to become very depressed. Right. Um, so, yeah, because yeah, well, he came totally irrational that everything was his fault and everyone was out to get him. And yeah. yeah. And I think, I, I think if you read lesser evils, you can kind of see the mm-hmm. seed of that in his personality. Like he is the kind of character kind of person who, you know, holds himself to a standard that's not realistic. Mm-hmm. And he kind of holds other people to that standard too. Um, I mean, he's, he gets very annoyed at people for making mistakes when he thinks that they've already been annoyed at him. Um, it's a, you know, I think it's a thing a lot of people who are smart kind of go through. That and it seems, con- it seems consistent with him as a character since everything we know from his fall to, to now too. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, even even the events in, we we saw in in the previous book, we saw sort of uh, the events of his fall. Yeah. Um, and some of his thoughts on that seemed, you know, in that same vein. You know that he was really hard on himself for the whole thing, and and rather than try to solve a lot of it, just sort of blame himself and 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 really wallow in it. Yeah, the so. problem, the solution's not there, so right. he just kind of turns around and goes, "No, well, it must be me," and he keeps having these sort of, like almost like false starts. He gets a little bit further and then kind of gets slapped back to square one. Like that wasn't the right way. Well, I guess I will never find the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, poor guy. Well, <laughs> you brought up relationships relationships and stasis. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into that question. Okay. Okay. Uh, the girls went into stasis for seven years. Yes. They aged physically. Yes. Um, they've come out very similar personality wise. Which makes like the whole Bryn Havilar thing kind of weird, right? Yeah. Like, physically, they fit together, <laughs> but but mentally and maturity wise, he should be way more mature than she is. Um, you know, are we going to see sort of a rapid maturing because you know she's now got an adult brain with adult body chemistry and all that? Or yeah, I think that affects them, right? And I mean, additionally, this is you know they've been through a lot, a lot of things that would probably be traumatic if they were real. Um, that, you know, probably have been traumatic, but this is different. This is huge. And so there's a lot of kind of, I mean, I think you see them going through kind of reorganizing their lives and their expectations of their lives. You know, um, it can really make you grow up. On the other hand, it can also really make you kind of, um, what's the word, you know, kind of go back and act young again. Where for Bryn, you know, he was 17 when this happens, when, when the girl he's in love with just suddenly gets yanked away she comes back he's gonna kind of regress that's the word i'm looking for he's gonna regress um as he works through that so i think that everybody is working on their maturity levels but i I, but yeah they should i think you'll be happy jeff okay okay good (laughs) because you know where i'm coming from here (laughs) i know you're not fond of the teenage aspect that much well i don't i don't mind it but i'm ready to you know grow up yeah (laughs) I also thought it was kind of interesting that it was seven years, and I don't know if it was planned to be seven or not. Because when I was growing up, I was always told, like, seven years was usually the customary period of time to wait before you could remarry or something like that if somebody left. Mm. Oh, no, I hadn't thought of that. 
I don't, I remember that though. I think from the I think it's in the Scarlet Letter or something. I don't know. I don't, uh, it was it was you know it was the case that that when they were dividing up the books, they um, gave me sort of the space of time between the Godborn and the Reaver, mm-hmm. um, and things that happen in the Godborn and the Reaver specifically. And I actually asked them to move me forward a little more so that it's the books almost on top of the Reaver because of uh, things happening in Cormir. Um, that I wanted to play with. So seven years was super an accident. It's like, I think it's like seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, which sounded, cause it, cause it's like, at first I was saying seven and then I was saying eight and I'm like, you know, let's, let's be real here. It's not, it's seven and a half. That's not as artsy sounding as seven, but. Well, and it works out perfectly because <laughs> then after seven, he'd need enough time to get engaged. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, All right, well, I've got, I've got one more relationship question. Yeah. Uh, Lorcan and Farida. Yeah. That seems to be a relationship that very much mirrors the, the, the real-world concept of an abusive relationship. Yep. Does, does that seem accurate, and she better not end up with him then? That is accurate, I think. <laughs> my, you know, my goal with it has been to kind of try to portray a realistic relationship and of that sort uh, and what that looks like. I think a lot of the times when you see fictional abusive relationships, they're kind of like morality plays. And so you either get like this mustache twirling villain and this Mm. innocent girl who was tricked, or you get, you know, the woman that we're all supposed to kind of know better than to be. And you know, I had a friend who uh, had come out of an abusive relationship, actually, and uh, she had, a, like, I think a therapist tell her something that really struck me, which was, we don't keep ourselves in relationships that we don't get something out of. And you can have some, a relationship that is really bad for you in a lot of ways, but if you still are getting something out of it, it you're not going to be able to leave. And when you realize that what you're getting is not worth what you're, you know, taking that's that's when you will. Uh, so, you know, the idea that there is that this is more than just he's bad, go away, you know, um, and that it should be hard. And my like I said with Brimstone Angels, my goal is that when she makes this deal, you're going, oh, honey, no. <laughs> but by the end of the book, you're going, but maybe he'll change. Right. That you're on some level be I, I mean, on some level, I'm kind of manipulating you, some people into mm-hmm. into rooting for this a little bit so that you can kind of feel that same thing that said i think in adversary it's really clear he's crossed a line um in that relationship that it's going to be really hard to come back from um which i don't know that everybody picked up on but (laughs) well and i think i think you can sort of because of the way you've you've sort of laid this out over several books now you can kind of you can see both perspectives Mm -hmm. and i think you have to think about it a little deeper than just at surface level to realize that it's a it's it's an abusive relationship, right? Yeah, and that there's really only one way that this should go. <laughs> you know, I'm not telling. Okay, <laughs> I just don't want another Twilight analogy that says abusive relationships are okay. Oh come on, Jeff, you know better than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And like in the possessiveness that Farida has and stuff is also very interesting. For me. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just Lorcan that's doing uh, things that are bad mm-hmm. or unhealthy. Well, yeah. And yeah usually, usually the things unhealthy. Usually, the things that Farida's getting out of that relationship are very sort of concrete, right? 
it's mostly a, I need you right now or we're going to die. <laughs> or, you, you know, I, without you, I don't have warlock powers and I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> nobody ever like Mahid, I think, would have just uh, put a sword in his face in in this book and and almost had the opportunity to do so. Right. He was telling everybody to shoot him, shoot him in the eyes yeah. um, until it was, <laughs> oh, wait. He's gonna save their lives, so darn it! I guess I gotta let him live, you know. I kind of feel bad for Mahen sometimes because he's he is fundamentally very pragmatic. Like, you know, he does not like Lurkin, but he can definitely see his value, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets these opportunities where he could do something, but he's like, it really is not in my best interest and my girl's best interest to do anything. But man, yeah. would I like to? Although, um, although when when Mahen did that, I very much had the the idea in my head of you know the road to hell. <laughs> Quite literally, it's paved with good intentions. <laughs> I think, though, too, she gets, I mean, she gets a certain amount of, like, confidence out of it, which is sort of perverse when you think about how many, how often he does knock her down, too. Um, and, you know, an opportunity to kind of look at things a little differently. And then originally, you know, people, I know people would sometimes come to me and say, I, I wasn't really into the beginning of Brimstone Angels because she just took this pact because she wanted to have sex with this guy. And I'm like, that's not it, right? She didn't, I mean, that was there, right? She was definitely into him. But the thing that makes her take the pact is this promise that the things she's scared of, that he'll be able to help her manage those, right? That she'll be able to take care of the people she's afraid for. And so that, you know, that's a big part of their relationship is that he kind of makes her brave in some ways. Um, and, and as she learns to be sort of brave for herself, that she can handle this, he's not as needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and also talking about the healthy, unhealthy relationship stuff. Uh, I really liked uh, in the scene near the end when the Ferda went back into the tower uh, Havilar and me and we're gonna go, and then Bryn and Dahl are standing outside the tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, and Bryn wants to go because he want he doesn't want to lose uh, Havilar again. And Dahl's like, "Listen, you've got to just basically is like you've got to trust them that they're gonna either come out of it or they're not. Um, but y- you going in and and you're just gonna die <laughs> most likely, and that doesn't help anybody." <laughs> Uh, but that's kind of like a more uh, mature relationship to me in that um, women have to be able to do stuff on their own and not have their, like, husbands come in or boyfriends come in and save them or, you know, sometimes you have to just trust each other. Yeah. I think that's one place where, like, Bryn and Havi have a little bit of difficulty where I think they were much more mature as teenagers and as adults there's a little bit of of rebalancing to happen is that Brynn's had time to kind of, you know, become a little more, you know, more right. adult, you know, be able to, you know, handle his sword better, be a little braver, be able to, you know, navigate the kind of sketchy stuff you do in Cormier. Um, and, and then also to feel like he has to prove he could save her. So, you know, you see in places where he like, where he's like you, when, when they fought the, um, the Vesserab, and he's like, I, you could have gotten hurt, you know, and he really wants to have saved her, but she could save herself. And, right. and sort of like, kind of relearning these things and reconciling who he is now and what he can do now. And, and 
what they each need is kind of, well, that's fire in the blood. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Can I get a little realmsy here now? Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, first of all, this is book three of the Sundering series. Um, and I'm starting to feel like the Sundering isn't going to happen anytime soon. That, that all of these books are really just prelude to the, to the, to the actual Sundering event. Well, I would say the thing is the Sundering is a really drawn out event. And I don't know how clear that's been made. The sort of the crescendo is obviously coming in book six. So as the books go on, they're definitely getting to be more signs and signals. I think Adversary is the first book where, you know, like people on the street are starting to notice something's up and this isn't normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also seems like, the the end of book six and the end of the Sundering series is also not going to be the end of the Sundering story. No. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the thing with the Sundering books, you know, there's, we were kind of given like, here are the things that are happening that you might want to consider incorporating in your stories. Um, and I, I unfortunately... I had these lovely little pictures of the whiteboard because they sent them to me while I was, while I was home. Cause I didn't make it to that meeting. So I couldn't say for sure what everybody else got. I know I was told like, this is when the Thayans get involved. This is when um, the Harpers notice the chosen. Uh, this is when, you know, people start noticing the chosen. Uh, this is when the earth moats start falling. Forget the other things. Mm-hmm. They, and then they had suggestions. Like, everybody kind of dibs to Chosen, and they gave me Chosen of Silune, and I said, I don't want Chosen of Silune. I want something else. So <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, but, uh, oh, God, I've forgotten your question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, just what we're seeing about the Sundering in, the, in, in this, and that the, the Sundering right. is, looks like it's going to continue oh, after the series so, is over. So that's the thing, is that, that you know, the stories that are, happening early on are being set, you know, several years before the Sundering completes. And so it wouldn't, for me, for example, it wouldn't fit my writing style. It wouldn't fit my story needs to end adversary and then jump forward, you know, two or three years to the world being different. So there's, I mean, and that's sort of a benefit in other ways, you know, there's parts of the world that are changing that aren't necessarily going to come up in these six books. You know, nobody, I don't think anybody, for example, is touching on sort of unther, timeanther, Akanul area. Um, I'd like to go there. Right. Mm. Uh, and, and kind of talk about what happens there by that point, you know, I assume there'll be source materials, out so you'll it will be a little more like here's the story of how that happened and a little less mm-hmm. let me look for clues about what's happening but that's the way for me to tell the best story um like i'm not i'm not entirely sure what will be out by the time fire and the blood comes out but there's a kind of cormirian succession drama happening in there mm-hmm. so you'll have a sense of what that looks like which you know so it's it's still going on there's still stuff happening but you know, when the when the setting starts, when the sundering is complete, you have this sort of new feel, fresh, I don't want to say fresh slate. That sounds like we're just destroying everything and we're like, here, you fill it out. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Yep, I do. Uh, and so this book also sort of um, makes you know, makes the World War II sort of concentration camp analogy 
pretty strongly. And we were told, what, two years ago when the Sundering was announced um, that it would be sort of like reading World War II novels. That's not telling the story of World War II, just things that happened during the war. So yeah. there, there's a, a, a continuing theme here. You know, how far does this this analogy of World War II carry on? And was that intentional when you when you guys sat down and, or when no. they sat down and you weren't there? <laughs> I was on the phone, but I have, I, yeah, I think I've told this story before. It was four days after I had my son. Right. So I was not entirely... And it's really hard having one of those meetings on a conference call. I took a lot of notes and I listened a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's it's quite as intentional as it sounds like. There's not a clear correlation. I wouldn't say, well, you know, obviously the fans represent, you know, the Empire of Japan or something because I don't think that's accurate. Um, for my part well, – But we know the Netherese are the Nazis. Well, if anybody's going to be the Nazis, they have to know the police, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, so – my my story was actually um, kind of inspired by my husband's grandfather, who, when he was a teenager, lived in the Philippines, and mm. World War II broke out, and the Japanese came and took uh, Manila, and he and his family were put into a, an American internment camp. Oh, okay. Um, so he was there. I don't remember the years, but he, you know, he was that was like you know his teenage years, um, and he wrote this long letter to his grandsons about it was it was kind of a it was what happened but he left out all the really horrifying stuff Mm because they were kids um and i i found a copy of this when i was reading it i was just super fascinated and like you know i would love to write something like this in a fantasy setting because the thing that really struck me i mean aside from just it's really interesting you know how they survived and stuff but the fact that there's so much just ordinary boring life stuff you know, he's a teenage boy. He and the other teenage boys figured out how, um, where they could hold a dance and black out the windows so that they could hang out with the girls and the guards wouldn't notice. You know, like that was important. Um, he was and, and, you know, just things about like how people got by and and. You know, there's the dramatic stuff there in there, too. You know, his father um was taken away to another camp and, and died on route. And that's tragic. And they the story about seeing a man get shot and stuff like that in there. And these are the sort of stories I think you, you almost expect to read. Um, they're important too, but I, I was really struck by the, the sort of mundane stuff, mm-hmm. which is, what I, I honestly feel like I wish I could have put more of that in there mm-hmm. um, that it didn't make it through. Cause I, you may have noticed this book is really long. I had to cut a lot of things. Yeah. The trouble with writing a shared world like this is that they sort of plan the page count out and, and the case count. And then you come back and you're like, I need 32 extra pages. <laughs> and the finance people get all mad. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, like I came into it and that was an idea I had been tossing around. And so when they were talking about the Sundering idea, they're like, well, we want to hear your ideas for these books. And I was sort of like, I don't know if that's the best idea right now, but I've been working on this sort of thing and I would love to pull it in. I think you could, you know, they've been talking about the Netherese capturing chosen. And I said, you could do something like this. You could have someone who's kind of trying to gather them up before they're fully chosen um, in the hopes of, of being able to manage them better. Okay. So, so I don't know how intentional it was. It's sort of it's sort of gathered up like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't think you're going to see like oh not, here's, where, here's where here's where here's where the Netherese try to push into the Shar Desolation and get stuck because <laughs> you don't go in in winter. Um, so not directly related. Have you read uh, Snow Falling on Cedars? I haven't. 
because I think there's a I think there's a few chapters where it's in the the U.S. internment camps, and there's even like a wedding. And how do you deal with the first night in a place where there isn't much privacy to begin with? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the sort of thing that like, you don't you really don't think about. I, was, I don't know. I was reading a story someone was telling about working with. Uh, refugees and she was like I don't know how I'm going to be able to cope with this they've been through so much you know war and and rape and and utter destruction and the thing she found herself talking about most was I met this boy on the boat over here and I really liked him I thought we had something but now he's dating my cousin and I don't know what to do it's like don't forget these are just people they have people problems right yeah definitely all right well a little while ago, you mentioned the the idea of writing in a, in a shared setting, mm-hmm. as, as the realms is uh, possibly one of the the most complex sort of shared setting in that way. Uh, and I found this book to to probably be one of the most realms integrated novels I've read. Oh, thank uh, you. Absolutely. Um, and and I wanted wanted you to talk a little bit about that process. How do you how do you have such tight integration with the realms and with the other the other events going on and knowing what's what's happening there but also at the same time uh making it accessible you know to to people who might be new readers i think yeah man it's it's one of those things it's like i've been doing this long enough now that it's it's like asking how do you breathe i'm not sure anymore um no it's not that simple I, i i really do my best to uh read everything i can um, they had a lot of documents for for the centering, uh, everybody's outlines. Um, they had a doc, big document, internal document made up of sort of like what's happening in the background, what different countries are doing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, it's, I mean, it's a work in progress, so it keeps changing. But, but so you had kind of a touchstone. Um, and I, you know, for this story, I'm kind of fortunate I had a lot of a lot of sort of feeder stories, you know, you have the Harpers, the Harpers are going to have to talk about what's happening in the rest of the world. It's the perfect opportunity. Um, and just kind of keeping an eye out for details. Like you, you brush something that, that you feel like, okay, well, where could, what could you put here? You know, that would touch something else. The other thing was when we were first talking about stories, they asked us to come up with ways that our stories might kind of reference each other without being really, really obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of those are stronger than others. The character Stead uh, in the adversary's little boy in the internment camp, he's like one of the major characters of the Reaver. Mm-hmm. So I got to borrow him, which is just really nerve wracking. And so I, you know, I'd write these seeds and I'd send them to Richard and he'd be like, that's fine. Um, Cause he was, he's really just deft at, at working with, existing material um and but i kind of went and i was like okay i'm just gonna kind of touch on everybody's so you have things like doll name checks elminster at one point because i was too far away from the herald to actually reference anything mm-hmm. um and they talk about sacors and many arrows and um this it, it, it's it's really subtle but the there's a point where Bryn's talking about a noble woman who he thinks is trying to like woo him away from from his fiance and that's actually 
were the characters from the Sentinel, which was, it was Troy's idea, which I thought oh. was really funny. Like the first time I ever met Troy, he, he like sat down at this meeting and he hadn't piped up in those emails. Cause, cause he, I think Troy really works best when you talk to him face to face. And he's like, okay, here's my list of stuff I think I could do. And he's like, I was thinking she could be Bryn's first love. I'm like, that's not on the table. Maybe she could be delusional. And he's like, that sounds much more like her. So she actually has changed a little bit from there, but I thought it was kind of funny that he was just totally down mm-hmm. for that. Oh yeah, you even had um, when she was when Farida was using the fortune telling cards, titles from some of the other books popping up. Oh yeah, that was great. They, um, I'm just really happy that worked. They when they were doing the series, I I didn't have a title. I said, well, what's the title scheme? And they hadn't really talked about it. But then I was like, well, if I were doing this, because this this is the reason I'm obnoxious to work with as an author, because I always think, well, what if I were my own editor? I was like, I would think, you know, you have this prophecy you're putting in the front that they were still working on. What if the, you could pull lines out of that prophecy? That those are the titles. Uh, they said, that's great. Okay, so we have two titles, and they're Godborn and the Companions. I'm like, those are not lines of prophecy. Those are just terrible lines of prophecy. They're fine titles, but they don't work for the scheme. And I, they reminded me of tarot cards. And I was like, well, can we make them like tarot cards? And they're like, that's kind of cool. So I emailed Ed, and I said, well you know do you like this idea and 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 also i kind of want to use the cards in my book and can you help me find a tarot deck that would work and so he threw me a couple and i liked the roth cards um so he had named some of them and some of them he was like you know this is the same and and as these things but uh and i i don't know i thought it was fun and it was this kind of nice little like nod to the reader mm-hmm but the book was always called the the what are they going to call it the fallen angel that was originally going to be the title and then as soon as i was like okay fine they're like actually everybody likes the adversary better so so you have a tendency um i've noticed oh. to have <laughs> uh sort of secondary characters that i absolutely want to know more about um, I think, uh, I mean, it goes back to, was it Brimstone Angels? I really wanted to, to know more about the story of Tam. And then after that, it, uh, it, in Lesser Evils, it was, I want to know more about Dahl. Uh, and now in this one, uh, I want a Cochin story. Like, I she was absolutely my favorite person. <laughs> I love Cochin. She's, it, she's some, in some ways, I think she's like the best version of myself, but also all my worst habits. Like, I can be a terrible gossip. <laughs> and that's what I loved about her is that like, if you're a spy and you're trading in people's secrets, like, like wouldn't you be picking up all these little silly things too? And like, when that's safe and not dangerous, wouldn't you just be like blurting out all the things you, you don't have to keep a secret. Um, and using that stuff, like, I, I mean, I, some people pointed out to me that they think she's terrible as a friend to doll. And I'm like, well, she is and she isn't right. She's right. in some ways her, her kind of making him talk about these things is this like brute force psychoanalysis. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, I like Cochin a lot. She's, she doesn't show up at fire in the blood, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, sorry. Darn. But I just like I so, totally... so often in, in these dramas, you know, um, if people would just, stop being dumb and talk to each other like you would solve all the problems you know and she's she seems yes. like the kind of person who would just stop being dumb and talk to somebody you know yes. she's not going to sugarcoat it at all she's just going to like pull it out of you right until you can't help it <laughs> yeah no she's not in this one but i would i i, I would love to be able to pull her back in um i i put Viscaris in 
fire in the blood. Uh, so hopefully he becomes more fleshed out there. Right, well, well, consider a spinoff. Just do the coaching spinoff. Story. Just do the coaching story. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be Co- Cochin and Tenora and Nestrix. And, and then everybody will, and 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 Varen and, and the what's his name Sovin. There we go. Well, intrigue is <laughs> kind of like murder mystery, right? There we go. There you go. <laughs> she could be my Friny. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tracy. You have any other questions? Uh, no, I think I'm all set. All right, then I think we're gonna let you go. Awesome. Well, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Thanks for chatting with us, and uh, when the next book comes out, maybe we'll have to uh, chat again. I would love it. All right. All right. I want to say thank you to everybody involved in this episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight. So everybody go off and, and thank them for supporting the show. I also want to thank our guest, Eric M. Paquette. Thank you. And where are people going to find you? What do you want to you pimp can, today? You can pretty much right now find me on Twitter, uh, Eric at, at Eric M. Pack, P-A-Q. Very good. And thank Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's me. And you, uh, you can find Jeffrey on the upcoming Appendix N podcast. Yes, and if you want to be on the Appendix N podcast, be sure to let uh, Jeff Greiner know. Um, I, I don't know when this episode will uh, broadcast. We, we may have already recorded an episode. I'm crossing my fingers. Um, the first three authors we are doing are Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Lord Dunsany, and someone named... Uh, Abraham Merritt, who wrote a story called Creep, Shadow Creep, which I've never heard of. Hmm. So if you want to be on the show and you know those authors or you just want to go out and read those authors on your, your, your own time, and uh, please please do so because we are, we are looking for people to have conversations with. Cool. And then we also have Kyle shin Thank you very much. Where, where do people find you? Uh, you can find me at Dungeons and Donuts. It's on Tumblr. It's dungeonsdonuts.tumblr.com. Um, I'm actually just finishing up four in February. I'm hoping to beat out uh, the last game to uh, complete my application for it. I got uh, animated gifts and comics and all the kinds of uh, gaming-related stuff going up on there almost every day. Awesome. And I want to thank you guys, our listeners, for listening to the show, for letting people know about it, for evangelizing the Tome Show and spreading the word, and also for using our affiliate links. We get a small cut of that, and that helps us uh, keep doing what we're doing. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us on our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find show notes as well as other great Tome Show shows like The Roundtable and The News Desk and Behind the DM Screen and our review uh, discussions and our uh, advice discussions and the upcoming Appendix N podcast and all of that over at thetomeshow.com. And that's our thoughts on The Adversary. Next month, we're going to read the first half of The Reaver, whatever point that ends up being. Uh, Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm off the wall.